This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. And welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I am an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Hi, my name's Chris and I'm an alcoholic. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Thanks, Chris. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model, and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places. Prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. And this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who is going to share their experience with alcoholism. 
So, Chris, welcome to the show. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about who you are? Thanks, Louise. Hi, I'm Chris. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I am 52 years old. Uh, I uh, am pretty well uh, Christchurch and Canterbury born and bred. Um, I uh, am single. I have uh, uh, um, kids that are sort of uh, 19, 22 and uh, 31 respectively. Wow. Uh, yeah, the, the older one just made me a granddad actually. <laughs> oh, uh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah. And um, so, Chris, how long have you been sober? I've been sober right now uh, for about four years and ten months. Oh, wow. What a wonderful milestone coming up. Mm. Oh, well, thank you for coming on the show. Let's talk a little bit more about what it was like for you growing up and, and your childhood. Yeah, it's interesting. Look, I think uh, off the top of my head, I'd say I had a good, robust, healthy childhood, you know, mm. middle New Zealand. Mm. I think about hot summers. I think mm-hmm. about, you know, picnics down at the river, you know, yeah. um, hanging <laughs> with my sisters, cruising around in the BMX with my mates, that kind mm. of stuff. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so it was a good, well-rounded, you know, sort of upbringing. I think central Kiwi. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, in hindsight, and it is hindsight, Insight, you know, mm. I was always a very anxious kid. Right. I had a whole lot of weird kind of ticks and habits. Wow. And, and just, uh, um, yeah, was always a, yeah, quite anxious. Mm. And so you, you mentioned siblings, so you've got so quite a large family. Um, just a, a tight family. We're still mm. very close, but nice. yeah, two yep. sisters, you know, parents are separated, but right. um, yeah, still, still very close. So let's talk then about your drinking. Mm. When and how did it start? Well, ironically, the very first time I got drunk, early 14, uh, um, you know, we all met down at the park with a concoction of rocket fuel that we had um, nicked from our parents' cabinet. Mm. And uh, I got horrendously paralytic, carked out um, across the driveway of uh, the high school old boys rugby club rooms uh, with a, a, a girls' high, boys' high dance going on. Uh, um, and um, you know that was the beginning of the, that, that was the beginning of um, my drinking career. But I loved it. It, um, it may I, I loved the feeling of uh, confidence and uh, mm. um, excitement that it gave me. It, it, you know, everything was just fun. Everything was just more fun. It was something I genuinely really looked forward to, sure. and it was a huge. It, it, it was a, a linchpin of my mm. my social upbringing through my teenage years. Sure. And you talked earlier about being, you know, somewhat of an anxious child. Um, uh, how did it change that? Did it change that? I, look, I couldn't honestly say that that was a part of it. Um, mm. As I say, more the, the, the anxiety thing is a bit of hindsight. Sure. But, um, yeah. you know, I think I just loved to party, mm. Mm. you know, and I was gregarious and I was outgoing and I had a big social group and it was just, yeah, yeah, but the key thing was drinking was always central to it as many times a week as we could, yep. you know, to excess. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. And so that that culture really, um, you you were you know boots in. Um, <laughs> as you you know you know moved into your early adulthood, how you know to, you know as you as you became um, you know part of part of society and part of the world, did your drinking change? 
I think my drinking my drinking did definitely change. Um, but again, I'm going to repeat this a few times. It's like, you know, what, what what I didn't see then, but I see now. Mm, mm. And um, a lot of it for me was, um, you know, if I think back about it, you know, I was always having, you know, if I worked late, I would always have a drink while I was doing it, you know, <laughs> out, out, out of the drinks fridge or sure. um, wherever there was a party, I was the first person to arrive and I was always the last person to leave. Um, it, you know, uh, I um, started to look and seek out opportunities to sort of drink and and, and, and have fun, yeah. um, as, as I put it. And uh, so for me, I definitely started to build a bit more of a dependence on it, but there was always a way that, you know, I mean, I didn't even think about it at the time. That was just, it was easy to rationalise. It was just a natural thing to do. And so I guess that brings me on to my first um, sort of question around, did you ever at any time think it was a problem or were there any signs of consequences as a result other than you thinking about, and this might be hindsight, that dependence? Yeah, no, not really. I, um, I, I, I partied hard, you yeah. know, and, uh, and and the group that I did it with did as well. Sure. Um, and so, um, I didn't feel as though I was out there on a limb compared to um, a lot of others. Yeah. Um, and it was a big part of our our social culture. Sure. But then it did get to a point where um, I think. By the time I started to wonder about it, to actually to maybe develop a bit of self-awareness, mm. you know, it was a long, long time later. I was well into my 30s. Right. Okay. So talking about then, um, you know, as, as you're growing up um, and, you know, you obviously have a family um, and children, were there any, was there any impact on those relationships with family, partners, children, yeah, I, I mean, look. Ultimately, um, look. I mean, I'm single now. Uh, my marriage failed for a number of reasons, but there's absolutely no doubt that um, sure. you know the alcoholism and the drinking were you know put put the nails in the coffin. That's for sure. And I think um, for me, look, it's a, a it was a slow burn. I'm sure. a classic example of someone who uh, was just a fun. I still remember my mother saying to me as a teenager, "Oh, you'll be an alcoholic if you if you drink like that." And I always used to, you know, just I, I just dismissed it as as being completely absurd. Never thought about the fact that both my dad's parents were alcoholics right, or right. You know, anything like that. But but I guess where I'm going is, uh, for me, it was a, it was a progression mm. over a very very long period of time, starting from drinking when I was 14 or 15 mm. and getting all the way up to my mid 40s. Mm. By which stage I had. Um, run out of options about how to rationalise it, how to justify it, and I couldn't, I couldn't ignore or defend it anymore. So let's talk about that a, bit, a little bit more. And, and ultimately, I guess what we describe in AA is either a rock bottom or, you know, we, we've, like you just said, run out of choices. Talk to us more about that and what actually brought you into recovery. Yeah, look, uh, uh, over uh, again, over a long period of time, I became completely dependent on alcohol mm-hmm. um, uh, the whole social thing um, fell away it was just mm-hmm. about um, imbibing you, you know uh, um, self-medicating having it in me and uh, it was something that I you know I, I felt I couldn't really do without um, and it started to get to a point where I was 
hiding alcohol everywhere. I was constantly topping mm. up, sneaking drinks. Um, I mean, I'm abbreviating, but it got to a point where I went from a few beers when, you know, maybe 15 years earlier to a six pack every night to more than a bloody dozen every night. Absolutely. To, yeah. You know, and then all the other, you know, um, going on to hard spirits, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. cheap, clean skin wines. Mm. And, then, and then it didn't matter what it tasted like no. or where it came from. I just had to put something in me. Sure. Um, and so, sorry, that's a long winded way of saying, yeah, I got to my rock bottom when I realized. Yeah, the cat the cat was ult- ultimately came out of the bag. Yeah. Um. Uh. You know, when I was around about forty six, forty seven, mm-hmm. and from there, um, it was like, okay, I'm going to stop, and I couldn't. And and let's talk about that. So, did you try and stop on your own? Did you try and reach out for help? I tried to stop on my own, and uh, ironically, or interestingly, when I actually tried to stop and realised that I could not control it that it, I just couldn't help myself, um, that's when it really blew out of control. Right. Um, the control was uh, – the, the choice was removed. Yep, yep. Yeah. And so all bets were off, and that's really, again, you know, the tail end of where the marriage started to fail badly sure. because, you know, I was making consistent promises about, you know, what I would do, about, you know, um, about stopping, um, mm-hmm. about changes that I was making. But then by about, you know, early every morning, you know, the whole cycle had started all over again. Right. And I hated myself for it. And, and, and so that decline in your mental state, your emotional state, and I guess, you know, what we'll get to shortly, um, more about your spiritual well-being. But how did you find your way or how did you hear about AA and find your way to your first meeting? Um, look, ultimately, it was at the time it was a last gasp effort to try and save the marriage. Sure, but, you know the truth was I was deeply depressed. I um, uh, had lost all of my confidence, all of that gregariousness I spoke about. Um, I was a shell of who I used to be. I was filled with self-loathing. I did the sense of slavery and mm. entrapment, and I was just a beaten. Mm. You know, a beaten guy and, you know, in an unhappy situation. And, you know, I I was so proud and, and so arrogant mm. for so long that I finally surrendered to the fact that I had nowhere else to turn. And so that's when I called AA. And you called the 0800 number yourself? Called the 0800 number and uh, Wayne, the engineer here, um, uh, was the guy on the other end. Wow. And uh, <laughs> set me up set me up with a, um, a guy who was later to, to be and still as my sponsor Amazing. who picked me up and took me to my first meeting. And how did you find that first meeting? What were the other AA members like? Look, it was warm. It was welcoming. It was uh, actually at the Christchurch Yacht Club in Sunnara. It was Waitangi mm. Day and it was oh, baking wow. hot. And there were probably a good 35, 40 people there. It was a big meeting. Mm. Um, and uh, I guess the key is um, – I felt welcomed and I didn't feel um, – I never felt like I was in the wrong place. So I guess, you know, by that you mean you were – when you listened to the other people share, did you relate to – did you hear stuff that you related to? Yeah, I think um, it was a lot to take in at the time. Sure. But the key for me was just to keep leaning into it, just to yep. keep trusting with it. Mm-hmm. And so, so as you, um, so from after your first meeting, um, you kept coming back. You tried some other meetings. Yeah, I did indeed. I mean, I think, uh, um, uh, yeah, that's exactly what happened. And um, it got to a point for me where 
uh, over time, I wasn't trying to do it to save any kind of a marriage or anything like sure. that anymore. I was doing it for myself. Um, and I think that's really when the positive changes started to be, started to happen. And and I guess that's you know that's that is what we'd almost we talk about in AA being a spiritual experience potentially. Um, and we talk about AA being a spiritual program, not a religious program. What does that look like for you? Yeah, look, if it was a religious program, I wouldn't be in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that was. That was very challenging when I first came in and even going to that first meeting as I went out there, you know, my sponsor to be said, now look, you're going to hear the word God a bit, but, you know, uh, like it's, you know, it can be, a God can be anything. It can be, it's just a a higher power of your own understanding. So don't panic in other words. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and um, for me, I had come up from uh, a very non-religious background, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so I was incredibly sceptical about all of that kind of stuff. But um, the reality is, what it's about is it's, it's a program that's not about faith; it's about humility. It's mm. about it's about the realization or the appreciation that it's not all about you. So I don't know what's out there. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it looks like. I don't understand it. But all I know is that you know I'm not the boss. I'm not the one who's in control. And um, and when I was trying to have all of that control, you know, uh, th- th- that ultimately resulted in my alcoholism over a long period of time blowing out to a very extreme level. And I guess what I hear from that pride and ego, that's almost been smashed mm, as, a re- as a result. Yep. And over the years, coming up to five years, that has obviously changed and... Uh, almost softened. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you learn about uh, in the program, and this is the key, the actual stopping drinking, you know, mm. you know, yeah, that can be tough to begin with, but over time, that's not the, that's not difficult. Mm. What is, you know, what the program's really about is developing the tools to stay sober, have healthy emotional sobriety, mm. Mm. and everything that comes with that, and so because that's what really keeps you sober, um, and uh, a, a huge part of that, as you just suggested, it's it's about humility. It's about thinking less of self. Mm. Um, it's uh, about how I can actually start to see the triggers and the signs that used to lead me to drinking and yep. what I can do around that to, to prevent it again. And a big thing is you haven't had to do this on your own. You talked about a sponsor that you've mm. had since you first came in the program. Uh, talk to us more about how important that's been and how that's helped you. Yeah, sponsorship's great. It's uh, it's sort of a guiding hand, a yep. mentor, if you like, um, someone to bounce things off. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's the, probably, well, for me personally, you know, I have a few different higher powers, yep. for want of a better word, and one of them is the fellowship itself. Yeah. Like, that, you know, I cannot do this on my own. Mm. You know, um, the, the, the group, the fellowship itself, is, is a big part of the higher power for me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so sponsorship is, has been really valuable. Yeah. Um, and look, you talked about um, relationships and your marriage. You know, how did you cope with difficulties in sobriety and some of those big things, those big, you know, things we have to deal with, life on life's terms? How did mm. you get through that period? 
Yeah, look, I think the um, it's actually really interesting because you start to learn a lot more about things like acceptance. Mm-hmm. You know, you start to learn about uh, the triggers that uh, will um, re- take away, you know, your serenity or, you, you know, um, your kind of own peace of mind. And a lot of it's about understanding what you can control and what you can't control, mm. you know, other people, places and things. And so through that whole process, because it was a big lifestyle change, mm. you know, um, through sobriety, I've uh, wound up going out on my own. Um, uh, you know, I've uh, had a massive change within the job or career mm-hmm. that I've got. Um, you know, obviously uh, there was the marriage did dissolve um, and all of that stuff I moved through. I was able to use the tools of the mm. program to actually uh, at no stage feel like um, drinking was a better idea. Wow. And that and that itself is, is a miracle. So, so, Chris, how would you describe your life today? I want to be really careful to not take it for granted. Yep. And I think... Um, I have to keep reminding myself of what it was like Mm. because what was it like? I was completely alone. I was completely isolated. Uh, I had... You know, you know, no self-esteem, no mm. confidence. I had no friends to turn to mm. because everything was so hidden. And now all of that has completely changed. You know, I've got my confidence back. I've never had stronger family relationships. You know, um, my career is flying yeah. and my physical health mm. and mental health <laughs> is, you know, next level. So, yeah, yeah that's, and that's compared to where it was. So brilliant. And um, Chris, what would you recommend to someone if they were to ask themselves, do I have a problem? What are some of the things they could ask themselves to help them decide? I think if I use my own experience, um, I knew that I had a problem for a long time, but I wasn't honest with myself Mm. about it. Mm. I would really encourage you to just be honest, truthfully, rigorously honest. And if the reality is that you're wondering at all Mm. about whether you might have a problem, the brutal truth is you probably do. Mm. So, you know, and the longer you leave it, the worse it's going to get in my experience. Yeah. And there's a fellowship out there that can help you today. And that's, I guess, you know, the next thing is some of the things they can do. You know, there are meetings all around us here. And so reaching out for help. So many meetings, you know, right through the week. There's the 0800 number. Um, And as I say, you know, they often say the opposite of addiction is connection. And Mm. that's what AA and the fellowship offers. Yep. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. It's been a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for having me. It's been a privilege. All right. For our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or, as we've mentioned, call us on 0800 AA Works. And there are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats again on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or download podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business, but if you want to stop, we can help. As Chris mentioned, you don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with the serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. 
courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.